Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. All things are lawful for me, right? We're not legalists. Uh, we're not putting people under the law. All things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. All things are lawful, he says, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. And so Paul said, look, I can do whatever I want. I am free in Christ. I have liberty and I know it, but I will not use my liberty in a way that brings me. I will not do anything that has the potential to bring me under its power. And so I think those are wise words for how we use our liberty in Christ. God has gifted you with many things in this world, from food to drink, from housing to jobs. This life is full of luxury. This life is also full of freedom and choice. You see, God has given you the freedom to choose how you want to live. In today's message, Pastor Bill will warn you not to abuse that freedom. Just because you have all the luxuries this world has to offer, that doesn't mean you should be part of it all. In fact, many of the worldly things are harmful, not just to your body, but to your testimony. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 10 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. So Moses gave them this long old instruction, take this grain offering, this other offering, finish it up. You guys are going to eat it, give it to your kids. It's your portion. There's what you're supposed to do. Moses comes and makes careful inquiry. So Moses kind of checking up behind him and he realizes that they didn't do what he said do. That the offering is there burnt up, but they haven't eaten it in the holy place like he had told them. And so Moses is angry with them and he's going to confront them about it. He's upset with them over it. Um, and I would just say this. Why is Moses angry? Is his anger undue? Um, anybody here that's ever been mad at your kid because they were messing up? You know, have you ever been mad at your kid because, you know, like if you keep doing this, you're going to die and you're mad at them because you love them. I think it's that kind of mad. Moses like, man, we just lost two. Now, I told y'all what to do and y'all didn't do it either. You know, he's, it's that kind of anger. It's a more righteous kind of anger. And so, again, I think parents could comprehend that, that uh, you're mad for them. You know, it's like, man, I'm just mad that you are. I don't want to see you mess up. I don't want to see you die like that or whatever. Um, I believe Moses is that kind of anger. He's concerned for them. And he's like, why didn't you just do what I said do? We've, we've just dealt with something pretty severe here. And so he's upset with them um, because they didn't do it. Verse 18 says, see, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Aaron speaks up, look, this day they have offered the sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? And it says when Moses heard that he was content. And this is pretty much what's given back. You know, they, he says, look, man, if, you know, it was a sin that they didn't follow through and do what they were supposed to do. But it was a sin of weakness. They're obviously broken. They're weakened. There's sorrow. There's all these things going on. And they're saying, we, I mean, if we had done it, would it have been accepted anyway? Um, and for whatever reason, when Moses heard that, he was content. This is my question. Nadab and Abihu sinned and they died. These other two sons, they sin just the same, but they don't die. And so. How come? How come Eleazar and Ithamar, they don't die for their sin, but Nadab and Abihu died for their sin? They both didn't obey some portion of what was prescribed for them to do, to die, to get kind of a pass. And so that's something I was looking at. So I would say this, Nadab and Abihu's sin was a sin of wickedness. 
They didn't, they weren't sad, they weren't sorrowful. Um, and it's, you know, as it's listed out, you know, they did three things wrong. They didn't follow an instruction, they didn't give glory or honor to God, and they came drunk. You know, that maybe it was a strikeout. Check one, check two, check three, they struck out with the Lord. You know, they came, it was a sin of wickedness. Um, with Eleazar and Ithamar, it appears that it was a sin of weakness, that they were in a weakened place, there was sorrow, there was grief. I would imagine not even having an appetite. You know, if you're just dealing with the death of your brothers and it's like, I don't want to eat an offering. <laughs> I don't want to eat chicken right now. I don't want to eat the thigh. I don't want to eat the breast of the wave offering. I'm not hungry. I don't want it right now. And they didn't eat it. And it appears that it was a sin of weakness. And I would say that there's a difference. Um, there are things that people do intentionally wicked. Um, I believe that God sees and God knows the difference. Um, there are things that everybody here has got weaknesses and there are things that may be in your weakness. Um, you struggle and you battle and you're weakened in some area. And does God see it different? All sin is sin. God knows what we're doing. But is there a difference between a willful, self-willed, wicked intended sin and someone that's weak and struggling sinning? Is it different before the Lord? I believe it is. If you're writing notes, uh, I'd like you to write down Psalm 103. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 of Psalm 103. It's a great psalm. It's almost like God's benefits package for those that believe in him. Psalm 103, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. It says this, speaking of our sin. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then in verse 13, look at this. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And just a reminder there that God looks down and he realizes the frailty that we have. He realizes our weakness and our frailty. And so for the person that's struggling, for the person that's been weakened in some area, God's patient, God's merciful, God loves, God intervenes, he helps, he forgives. Um, here it even says he, he pities us. If you ever looked at your kids and just said, man, you just got pity on them. This pitiful little thing. You just mercifully, pitifully look at them. God's looking at us saying, I pity you guys. A mercy upon you. And there is his mercy. There is his forgiveness. Um, there is the removal of our sin. There is that work that God does. Uh, again, I believe that it's different when people are walking in open, willful, wicked rebellion. Um, I believe God deals with that different. But um, either way. Nadab and Abihu are dead at the end of this chapter, and um, Ithamar and Eleazar, um, they've been given some stern warnings. Um, I'm sure that they're grieved and they're bummed out at what's taking place. And what do they take from this? I think at the bare minimum, they would look at this. And I don't think they would be signing up. I don't think that Ithamar and Eleazar, I don't think them guys going to be at the bar anytime soon. I think that when they do come before the Lord, they'll be honored and reverence and they'll recognize that God is holy and it's not something to be playing with and God has made his point God has made his point there's been severe warning that's gone forth so um what do we take from this um as I look at the chapter and I realize obviously we're not we don't have a priesthood today none of us here are trying to be priests so what can we take from this a couple things one I believe that in the same way God had been very specific and he took great time to detail out what he wanted um, God expected them to obey and he punished them for not obeying. For all of us that are reading our Bibles, God has also been very specific with us about a lot of things. Um, 
wife and I were a couple weeks ago, we got to go and be with some married couples at a church in Norwalk. And it's going through the word on marriage. God's been very specific with married people on how he wants it to go and what he wants a husband to be like and what he wants a wife to be like. And God expects us to obey that. There are many areas of our life where God has I've been specific with you through my word about what I expect from you. We should know that, that hey, God's holy. He wants to be obeyed. He wants his children to obey him. I want to come back to the thing of alcohol because as I read this, I wonder, you know, there isn't a lot to give us, you know, indication as to what kind of guys were Nadab and Abihu. They're dead so fast that, you know, you don't really get to find out. But I look at this and I say, man, were these guys that were okay guys and then they, they got drunk and they did dumb things? Were they wicked guys that also got drunk? Um, I don't know, but I know from the prohibition in verse nine that alcohol was a part of it. And I know that today within the church, there's a lot of um, a lot of controversy, a lot of compromise in terms of alcohol and where we stand. I actually have a friend that's a minister in Oklahoma and he had been invited on staff at a church and he was praying about it with his wife about rather he should take that position. And so they were going there and getting involved and he was meeting with the different ministry groups uh, week by week. And so he had spent time with the pastor. He went out for a dinner with the pastor, the worship pastor, and a few of the other elders and leaders and their wives. And as they got up to the restaurant, he said they started ordering drinks. Like, they started ordering cocktails. And it wasn't just one cocktail. It was two, and it was three. And they were, he said, they were. I'm, I'm sitting here with pastors and pastors' wives. And he said, dude, they are getting faded. They're giggly. They're all, you know, everything that, he said he was embarrassed to even be there. So he went to the bathroom and called me. He's like, dude, what do I do? Like, do I just, do I go out there and do a John the Baptist and just like let everybody know a piece of my mind? Like, he's like, I'm dumbfounded right now. Everybody, they're drinking. I mean, they're ordering up, you know, real cocktail with hard liquor and everything else. And he's like, man, I said, you know, talk to him. You know, you know, open rebuke is better than silent love. You know, go back and say, hey, uh, have a conversation, you know. And he opened up the conversation and had it with them. And it's like, they were fine with that. They were like, hey, the Bible says we should be married. When you want to twist the scriptures your way, people get all kind of funny verses. They take stuff from, you know, it's, it's some verses you can really twist to say what you want, but they felt like it was all good and they should be able to have a good time. And I'm like, who's driving y'all home? Y'all going to get on the road and drive like this too, right? Um, It was terrible. But anyway, that's more common than not. I actually know a pastor at another church where they allow, they're okay with drinking and all that. And the pastor got drunk got on his motorcycle with his son on the back and fell and hurt himself. Uh, you know, thank God it was very minor what happened to his son, but a pastor. And imagine he's being arrested. He's going to jail and all this happened. He's a pastor. And so come back to all that for us. I don't know everybody here where we stand, but I'm gonna give you some food for thought um, on this thing of alcohol. First question I would throw out, uh, and I'll just ask you guys, you guys can interact with me a little bit. Um, do you guys believe that the wine of biblical times is the same as the wine of today? It was different. My wife said it was different. So it probably was different if she said it. But I was reading and researching on it, right? And this is what I found. One, there's three different words in the Bible used for alcohol. And, you know, primarily, if you see the words strong drink in the Greek, it's a sakura in the Hebrew, it's sakar. It's a word for strong drink. That's strong drink. And again, for them, strong drink 
was it would have been wine. That was the strongest. I mean, they had natural. They didn't have the stuff that we're concocting today. It would have been a wine that would have made a strong wine. Now, wine was very common back then. They drank wine at dinner. They had it at meals. They had it at feasts. They had it at everything. And from everything that I can read, um, it was the common practice to dilute it. So the commonplace wine and what they would have had at meals, it wasn't like every time these people got together, they were getting slushed. And they were just, you know, everybody was just, you know, drunk out of their minds, you know. You know, you could drink enough of anything and get drunk, but it wasn't like what we have today. Primarily, there are some wine taster kind of people that just, just want to taste it, you know. But for the most part, today, people drink. Uh, they don't drink for taste. They're not drinking for flavor. Keep this in mind, too. Back then, they didn't have Snapple and soda pop and all these other arrangements. I mean, they were pretty limited on what they had to drink. They had water and milk and wine. Yeah, I guess, and I don't know if you can mix those three up, but they were pretty limited on their update. Today, we got Starbucks, you know, we got tea houses, and we got all kind of other things that we get out there and do. They had those limitations. So this is it. I believe that the wine was different. I believe that they can get drunk back then because God wouldn't have been prohibiting them to get drunk, and there wouldn't have been people getting drunk. So the drink they had back then, you could get drunk off. These are the three words. One, you see the word strong drink, speaking of strong, undiluted alcohol. The next one you see is, uh, you'll see the words new wine. And that was a wine was very sweet. It was also diluted. It wasn't straight. And then uh, just plain wine. And I believe that from what I've looked at, for the most part, that would have been diluted, commonplace wine that people would have had at home and everything else. In that culture, it wasn't something that was done primarily to get drunk, though you could get drunk off of it. So I believe the wine was different. If you walk into a liquor store today, uh, everything that you look at on that wall pretty much is not what they had here. The alcohol today, it's been concocted in laboratories to figure out how to get you drunk, really, really drunk, really, really quick. That's what it looks like today. And so um, that part is different. And next question is, it is it something that is necessary? You know, do we need to drink? Obviously, we don't need to drink. But then this is it. This some people struggle over this is does the Bible prohibit us, forbid us from drinking? Um, does the Bible say that you cannot, if you're a Christian, you should not ever drink, ever, never, never? No. Uh, can we say that? It doesn't, right? The Bible doesn't say. I'm going to preach the word of God to you guys. I could not stand here in faith and say the Bible says that you should ever, under any circumstances, never, 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 don't ever drink. It'll be a sin. doesn't say that. So it's left. There is a liberty. There's a liberty that we have. I cannot take away your liberty. That be legalism. So we all have a liberty. Um, as a pastor, I actually have a liberty. I could, according to 1 Timothy, which says not to be given to much wine, um, I guess I could have a drink. I could. Should I have a drink? How would you feel about that? If you guys walked into Chili's one day and you said, Pastor Bill, and I said, what are you doing? You know, how would you feel about that? How would that rub you? Would you feel would that be okay? What'd you think? I know what you think. You guys be people let me just like this taking pictures. If I'd be on Facebook, I'd be it'd be over, you know. Like it, we don't expect that, right? It's not something you expect. Why not? It just not it doesn't seem fitting, does it? Doesn't seem fitting that I would be at a bar with Clint having a beer, does it? Soda pop. Clint liked that root beer. Uh, but you know, it doesn't seem fitting that I, that would be, and it shouldn't be, right? I need to be sober-minded, right? And so um, is it something wise? Not really the question, can we? If I'm gonna ask you the question, can we? Yes, we can. Everybody here could have a drink. It's not the can we question. Um, we do have that liberty. This is the problem. This is where Christians get in trouble is using their liberty in a way that binds them. Right. When I got saved, you guys know when I got saved, I was in bondage to alcohol. 
And my liberty in Christ, what it did for me was liberated me. Liberty works both ways. I'm actually free not to drink. When I got saved, I had to drink every day. Like I had to have a drink. I needed my, I didn't go a day without having something to drink. And so I get saved and God deals with that area of my life. I get delivered from that bondage. I'm free to not do it. My liberty in Christ frees me that I don't have to do anything now that brings me under his power, that controls my life, that takes me out of a good mental state of mind. I'm free not to drink. Again, for some Christians, it sounds like how close to the edge can I get and still be saved? And I don't think that's a healthy or a wise way to spend your Christian life. Uh, that happens with alcohol, happens with drugs, happens with relationships. People are like, so how much can you do in your relationship before it's a sin? Can I touch their hand? Can we fondle just a little bit? Can we kiss? Like, how far can we go before it's too far? That's not where you want to be living as a Christian, right? If I told you guys, if off of this cliff right here, you just you die. Y'all wouldn't be standing over and saying, really, for real? You would get as far away from that cliff. You wouldn't try to live right there. You would get far away from it. That would be wisdom. And so when God gives us these areas where he says, hey, it's a liberty. But then he gives us all these other verses that say, for leaders, don't do it. Um, and I'm going to walk through some of those with you guys. Um, I think we just have to use wisdom with how we use our liberty. So I'm going to give you some verses. I'd like you to write them down. I'm going to read them off to you as we go through it real quick. And so that everybody can, you know, make be wise in what you choose to do concerning uh, this thing of alcohol. So in Proverbs 31, 4, um, I mentioned this earlier, but Lemuel was being counseled. And it says this in verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Why? Least they forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. It says, give strong drink to him who is perishing. So um, he says, look, it's not for those for those that are in leadership, for kings, those that are making decisions. It's not for them. Don't do it. Over in Numbers chapter six, just write it down. If you were going to take the vow of a Nazarite, where you're going to be set apart for God, for service and for these things. If you were going to take the vow of a Nazarite, you couldn't drink. One of the things that you were prohibited, you were not to take anything from the vine. You couldn't drink wine. You couldn't eat raisins. I mean, nothing from the vine. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't have it. Why did God say? Why was that such a big deal if you were going to serve like that? You guys remember when Samson's mom was told she was going to have Samson? and He was going to be a Nazarite from the womb. She was told, don't even drink while you're pregnant. And we know now that if you drink while you're pregnant, you could jack up your baby while it's in the womb. Ain't had a chance yet. So um, she's told don't do it. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, the instruction given to those that would be in a pastoral role, those that are giving leadership in the church, those that are um, teaching the word and giving guidance and direction in the church. And 1 Timothy 3, 3, it says that they were not to be given to uh, wine. And that means that word given means to be addicted. You can't be addicted to wine. This has always been my take on that. How do I make sure I don't get addicted to cigarettes? Don't ever smoke them, right? How do I make sure that I don't end up addicted to crack, which is very addicting, by the way? Don't smoke it. So we already know, is alcohol addicting? They wouldn't be AA if it wasn't. So how do I make sure that I, pastor, who can't afford to be given over to alcohol, how do I make sure I don't get addicted to alcohol? Just don't drink none. That's the only guarantee I have, right? That's it. So wisdom says, liberty says I could. Wisdom says I won't. Um, just, you know, that my only guarantee that I'll stay where I'm at is to stay where I'm at, not do it. Now, this is the other thing. Just a question. Is there any upside or benefit to drinking? None, right? Some people say, what's the flavor? 
you can get a flavor about anything you want today uh, without alcohol in it. So it ain't the flavor, you know, but there is no benefit to getting drunk, um, to alcohol, not in that way. There's no benefit to you. Um, this is the thing. I was just contemplating this earlier. I have never heard of someone whose life was better because they drank regularly. I've never heard of a marriage that was made better. I've never heard of a guy that was a better dad because he drank. Uh, I've never heard of anything that was improved through alcohol, but I have countless stories where marriages were ruined for drinking. Lives were messed up. Futures were ruined. Guy was a, a sorry dad because he couldn't put the bottle away. I've, countless stories of the other, and I can't think of one benefit. So that just leaves me in a place where I'd say, wow, it just seemed like wisdom would say, there's a whole lot of other things I could do. You know, let me catch the flavor for something uh, less lethal um, for my taste buds. And so now this is interesting because that was for the pastors and the leaders, but also in 1 Timothy 3, 3 for the pastors and 1 Timothy 3, 8 for the deacons or those that serve in the church. It says this, 1 Timothy 3, 8, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine. So. The pastor's not to be given to wine at all. The deacon's not to be given to much wine. What is the difference? Um, again, those that are in a pastoral oversight and that kind of role, they're making decisions in the church. And so they're not to be um, in a place where they're messing with alcohol. And then obviously for the deacons, now if you grew up in some churches, the deacons ran the church. They did make decisions. But the word deacon here is those that are serving, those that are helping. They're not to be given to much wine. We've made it a standard here, a rule of thumb in Calvary Chapel Inglewood that for those that would serve, recognize that we have the liberty to drink. And for the love of the body of Christ, for the love of the believers around us, for the witness of Christ, it's a liberty that we have laid down, that we've said, I laid down this liberty that I might not stumble someone else, that I might not be out somewhere and stumble someone else or, you know, mess somebody else up. It's a liberty that I've laid down to, that I might be effective in service to the Lord. And um, one last thought on it. One last thought, one last verse. Uh, something Clint and I were talking this through one night and we were saying, well, let's just say a pastor exercised his liberty to have a drink. And just let's say that night after he had a drink, somebody called, there was an emergency and they needed you to come out. Um, and now you're kind of compromised. Like, do you go out after having had a drink and, you know, drive that way and show up to someone's house smelling like that? Do you say, I can't go because I've had a drink and I can't go? And it was like, wow, that, I mean, that's my life. You know, like that would be a chance where, man, I use my liberty in a way that now I can't do what I'm called to do, or I might be compromised in having done so. Um, so again, just can't really see a benefit or an upside. So my encouragement to you is that not just in alcohol, but in every liberty, that we use our liberty wisely, that you don't use your Christian liberty in a way that brings you into bondage, but let your liberty, let it really be liberty. Use your liberty in Christ to stay free and to set other people free. And so in closing that whole section, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, all things are lawful for me, right? We're not legalists. Uh, we're not putting people under the law. All things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. All things are lawful, he says, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. And so Paul said, look, I can do whatever I want. I am free in Christ. I have liberty and I know it, but I will not use my liberty in a way that brings me. I will not do anything that has the potential to bring me under its power. And so I think those are wise words for how we use our liberty in Christ that recognizing, yes, I am free to do certain things and I don't ever want to use my liberty in a way that would stumble others or that could bring me into bondage that I might be free to be useful to the Lord. Amen. So as we wrap this up and we get ready to close, Nadab and Abihu died for 
their sin. Um, they offered strange fire. They came before the Lord in a way that he didn't prescribe. Uh, they didn't honor him as holy or regard him as holy. They didn't glorify him. And they came before the Lord intoxicated. And for those things, God said, no, that will not be, that won't continue in the priesthood. And so they were killed. And those that were left were given warning that they might take heed to the warning. Pastor Bill Buffington will share more from the book of Leviticus right here on A Transforming Word. But that's all we have time for today. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood, and our prayer is that this ministry touches your faith in such a way that you grow closer to Jesus. We know just how hard it is to live like Christ in a world full of darkness. But just as the Israelites had to learn, God is near. Even when you don't see Him, even when you don't feel him, even when you don't understand him, he is near and he is for you. His grace is endless and his love is deep. When the pressures of this world get to you, remember who you are in him. If you'd like to learn more about the book of Leviticus and you'd like to study the Bible more deeply, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the word on a daily basis. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and you'll find resources and tools to help you continue to grow in your faith. Before we go, we also want to let you know that you can connect with us on social media too. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll add some uplifting content to your week. A Transforming Word is a broadcast on the radio, and our goal is to help spread the good news of the gospel. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. Thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in. To learn more from Leviticus, be sure to join us next time right here on A Transforming Word.